B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby with the bald-faced truth. This is John Canzano's bald-faced truth. Judah Newby in for John. John's exclusive interview with Marriott Paulson coming up in just a few minutes. John on his way to Las Vegas in the Pac-12 championship game. The USC Trojans, the Utah Utes, battle it out for the Pac-12 title tomorrow night in Vegas. Coming up on the show, of course, the highly anticipated conversation with Merritt Paulson, who announced today he will sell the Portland Thorns and maintain ownership of the Portland Timbers. A statement was released by Paulson and the Thorns at 9 o'clock this morning. We had the breaking news at 750thegame.com. John, of course, had it with some quotes from Merritt at johnconzano.com. You've heard some clips today and Stephen Vaughn's updates throughout the day. You'll hear the full interview with Merritt Paulson coming up shortly. We'll also get a preview of the Pac-12 title game from Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune as the 11th-ranked UTL Utes meet 4th-ranked USC. For the Trojans, it's pretty simple. You win, go into the playoff. If Utah wins... It keeps that all-too-familiar narrative alive that the Pac-12 just eats its own, as it were. And last time we had Newman on the show was two weeks ago, previewing Utah and Oregon at Autzen Stadium. That was Utah's Super Bowl at the time. They lost that game, and yet they're still the ones going to Vegas. How did we get there? We'll talk to Josh Newman about that. Uh, plus, we'll play Punch It Audio. The transfer portal is alive and well, as always. A Beavers quarterback is on the move. We'll talk about that. And Thursday Night Football coming up at 515 here on the BFT Radio Network flagship, 750 the game. It's Josh Allen against Bill Belichick. Bills and Pats again at 515. All right. 15 months ago, September of 2021, The Athletic published an investigative report that a women's head soccer coach named Paul Riley allegedly sexually coerced and verbally abused multiple of his players on multiple of his teams from a span of 2011 to 2015. Now, Riley coached the Portland Thorns of the National Women's Soccer League two seasons, 2014-2015. His alleged acts of sexual coercion and abuse took place right here in Portland with a club that's beloved by so many here in Soccer City, USA, and internationally. The Thorns have had unprecedented success on the field in the NWSL. Three-time league champions, more than any other club. Current reigning league champions, as of a month ago, taking the crown in the nation's capital. Two-time NWSL Shield winners, the best regular season point total in the league. They've been one of the most successful women's soccer clubs in the world since their founding in 2012, since their first NWSL season in 2013. But as we all know, there's been, unfortunately, a painful amount of off-field notoriety. Ownership of the club that's led by Merritt Paulson and his father, Hank, with Peregrine Sports LLC, founding owners of the Portland Thorns, part of the National Women's Soccer League when the league launched, and they helped build much of what the club is today. But as investigations into the Paul Riley situation commenced, developed, 
and ultimately found Paulson did not do enough as owner of the Thorns to properly handle the allegations against a coach that he hired and a coach that he dismissed after being made aware of the allegations. Paulson has apologized publicly more than once for his role and the organization's role in not handling the situation properly. You'll hear in the interview with John Canzano the parts of the process that Paulson says he regrets and would do over if he could, including not hiring Paul Riley in the first place. I've listened to the interview multiple times. It stands on its own. You can draw your own conclusions. I'm sure we will, and we'll react to it throughout the show. But the main takeaway is that the Portland Thorns will be sold to new ownership. Who that new ownership is is still to be determined, though there are certain groups that are making headlines in the news as of late. The Portland Timbers remain in Merritt Paulson's ownership with Peregrine Sports. We'll have plenty of time to get your reaction along the way. You can call the program throughout the show at 503-417-7575. Once again, Judah Newby in for John Canzano today. So uh, we'll have the Merritt Paulson interview here in moments. Stephen Vaughn joining me behind the board as always. Updates at the top and bottom of the hour. Uh, Stephen, pretty much around this time of year, John is going to the Pac-12 title game annually. I find myself in this chair annually hosting this show or or the show that's the day of the Pac-12 title game. Last year, that, I thought that was an unfor- unforgettable day when uh, Oregon was going to play Utah in the Pac-12 title game in Vegas. And then we got breaking news that morning that Neil O'Shea was fired by the Portland Trailblazers. And uh, John was gone, so I was I was doing the show. And we John joined live from Vegas multiple times. We were talking O'Shea's departure. We were talking all things one center court and uh, in the banner day that that was at the time. And then we also had a championship game to talk about with Oregon uh, and Utah. That one did not go, go the Ducks' way, by the way. Uh, today... We planned this way in advance. I was going to be hosting this day. John's on his way down to Vegas again. Lo and behold, this is the day Merritt Paulson announces publicly that he's uh, going to sell the Portland Thorns to new ownership, maintain ownership of the Portland Timbers. Uh, John was able to to pre-record a conversation with, with Merritt that's very good, and we'll have it coming up in moments. But it's just funny how these things work sometimes, Stephen. You just find yourself in the chair at certain days where uh, where the news cycle goes places you didn't think it'd go. Yeah, I mean, at least for you, it makes it a little bit easier because you know what you're going to talk about, right? Like, you don't right. have to be like, hey, what am I going to talk about on the show? Like, no, we got something to talk about now, but... You know, I think uh, it is interesting to have this happen uh, at this moment, just like it did last year for you, for uh, Neil O'Shea. Like, I don't know if it says something about you or if it's uh, just, or yeah, or if it's just, you know, blind luck. But, uh, you know, just news happens when you uh, have to guest host the show, I guess. Yeah, news, news does happen. Last year, like a week later, like the Dan Lanning rumors were all going in full flux. And then to, to bring it back to Providence Park, the Portland Timbers were making their way through the Western Conference playoffs and hosting MLS Cup at Providence Park, which was amazing that day. I remember that day. Kanzano, we were we were all over the Timbers against New York City FC. Kanzano was reporting Dan Lanning to Oregon on Saturday, December 11th. And then we all got together for a big dinner that night. The Kanzano's, myself, Peter, the whole staff at the time. That was just slightly before you came on board. But we had this big uh, big dinner that night, and we were just like, dude, what a day. Just a and celebration. What a, what a two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was amazing. Um, now, that being said, today feels a little different. 
you know, back then, the old Shea news, uh, you know, we were celebrating that, you know, and uh, a lot of Blazer fans were like, oh, for, for, for good riddance. This one is different. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know Merritt Paulson as well as a lot of people do, but I've interacted with him enough times to like him, and uh, I've worked for him. Frankly, I mean, I worked for the Timbers in in a capacity throughout the seasons, dating back to when I started in 2014. Like, and I, I've really enjoyed interactions with him, interviews with him on Talk Timbers or other platforms, and so uh, I do not find the similar uh, energy or joy. I would say. Uh, hosting the show today with the news of the day. I don't find it particularly enjoyable, but um, I do find it interesting, and it's a necessary uh, part of where we're at in, in Portland's sports history and soccer history that a sale of the Portland Thorns is forthcoming. I think that's I think that's right, but I'm also eager to hear what listeners think of this conversation with Merritt Paulson that we'll have in a moment. Yeah, it's a necessary thing to have this interview, and it's good that you know John got to do it because he does do a good job of getting people to answer questions. So I do think he's the perfect guy to give uh, this type of interview in this situation to really let uh, Merritt Paulson you know state his case and state what he wanted to state. So uh, it is a very interesting conversation. I'm excited to hear uh, what people think about it, but. Yeah, it's definitely a. Uh, it's not an exciting, right? It's not like a happy, no. happy news story by any stretch of the imagination. Where the other ones, you know, you could argue, okay, Old Shea gone, that's happy. MLS Cup, happy. This one, uh, definitely not. That's sobering, is what it is. It's sobering, and uh, it's it's part of the industry for sure. Um, and uh, but it's meaningful as well. So we'll bounce to break when we come back. Uh, John Cazano's full interview, the exclusive one-on-one interview, the first of its kind in the last year plus that Merritt Paulson has done. We've been trying, we've been efforting Merritt Paulson for a long time. Let me tell you personally, we've been efforting Merritt Paulson for a long time and he has not been able to really go public with any sentiment or any, uh, or any words to this. This morning he announces he will sell the Portland Thorns after the break here in a couple of minutes, John Cazano's conversation with Merritt Paulson about his decision to sell Thorns FC. This is the Bald Face Truth, newbie in for Kanzano on the BFT Radio Network. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. Well, the Portland Thorns and the Portland Timbers, by extension, have been embroiled in a scandal that dates back to 2015 when Paul Riley, the coach of the Portland Thorns, sexually abused and harassed players on his team. He was dismissed by the Thorns, but subsequently that was swept under the rug. They did not handle it right. Uh, Multiple investigations have pointed that out. Merritt Paulson, the owner of the Portland Timbers and Portland Thorns, joining us now in what is the first exclusive one-on-one interview that he has given since this all broke. He's joining us now. Um, look, what went into this? I, I got to know what, how, how hard a decision was this for you to make? Uh, ex- extremely hard. Uh, I couldn't be more proud of the Portland Thorns, John, and what's been built over the last decade, what they've meant not just to women's soccer but to women's sport globally. You know, the light, positive light they've shined on our city. I mean, it's honestly among the proudest things I've done is, 
you know, helping to shape and develop and sustain this women's soccer and, uh, you know, make it, help make the Thorns everything that they've, that they've been. And uh, it's been a very painful and, 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 and difficult decision, but ultimately it comes down to the fact that, you know, at this moment in time, for the foundation that is the thorns that's been developed over the last decade to continue its growth trajectory that's it's been on and continue to maximize everything that it can be i think having a fresh ownership voice at the league level a new ownership voice preferably a female-led ownership group is what is best for the thorns and i'm trying to be motivated and I've always tried to be motivated by doing what's best and making difficult decisions and we don't always get them right but in in this case I do believe it's the right decision you guys did some things wrong uh, allowed some things to happen your response to it was wrong how how did it happen when I say it I'm talking 2015 Paul Riley um, what went on and then your subsequent reaction to it uh, is kind of how we ended up here well, let, let's talk about that um, for for a minute, because um, we did get some things wrong in 2015, and we also did get some things right. Um, and I've acknowledged what what we got wrong, um, and I'll talk about that specifically in a minute. But you know, from the moment that we first got a sexual harassment complaint about Paul Riley in 2015, he was immediately put on suspension. He was immediately investigated. He was terminated for cause within eight days. And everything that we discovered in our own invention was communicated to the league, which was not only the NWSL, but really U.S. soccer, who ran uh, the NWSL at that point in time in 2015. And of the three parties that were privy to the complaint that was made about Paul Riley, we were the ones who acted. We terminated them and communicated. And I do regret that that U.S. soccer, as the regulatory body at that time, you know, and in, in, in leagues ultimately are better positioned to run investigations, and they're the ones who are positioned to, to bar coaches. Paul Riley never should have coached a day in his life. And, and there was a failure, a governance failure there that was a big one. We That's not to say we were in any way, shape, or form without fault, and I've tried to err on the side of apologizing. I mean, this is such a sensitive thing for so many people, and people have experienced abuse in their own lives, so many and way, way too many. But we didn't announce the firing transparently, publicly. We followed our legal advice. And nobody, we did not know about Sinead Fairley's abuse story with Paul Riley until the article came out. So we didn't know nearly the extent of what he was guilty of or what a bad guy he was. But we knew he was a bad guy and, and we never should have said anything positively, publicly or privately, me or anybody else, whether it was out of just out of professional courtesy that you have in sports, that you congratulate people on wins or whatever in any context. And we had failings. In, in that regard. So, so you know, again, I, I'd say the only people who don't make mis any mistakes are people who don't make decisions. But 
we're not running from the mistakes we've made, and we've used this entire opportunity as, an, as, as a chance to get better. I mean, this challenge is a chance to get better, and our organization's made incredible changes, and they've been proactive. Um, so anyway, I guess that's a somewhat long-winded answer to your question, but there's a lot, you know, a lot to cover there. And we have a few investigations that are coming out in the in the next couple of weeks, both the league's joint investigation and our own investigation that DLA Piper did, and you know maybe they can help people understand in more detail, hopefully, what actually happened as well. Have and you, they're not just taking my word for have it. Have you talked to Shim? Have you talked to Farelli? Have you talked to any of the women who who were uh, abused? No, no. I've, Why? I, Why I've, not? Uh, I I've, I have volunteered to talk to them through the players association so I, I i made that clear but i didn't want to be intrusive either um so uh you know I, I i had a conversation with the head of the nwsl players association saying i'd i'd welcome the opportunity to talk to them um but that's got to be something they want to do as well how do we how do we, like i wrap my head around the idea that you know this was a coach that within eight days you knew this we want no part of this guy you you move him out but then the public statement isn't congruent with that that's problematic yeah and again i'm not running from that that was we had we were guided by a top harassment lawyer um in this this city when we did this investigation and and she gave strong legal advice um that that was how that needed to be framed publicly at the time and we followed it and we understand the ramifications of that now and i regret that we listened to that advice yeah and in, in going back like if you could go back to that moment how much of this is fixed if you go back to 2015 you fire him, you make it public, you say this isn't what the Thorns are about. I don't think we're here today. I, I think you're right. The investigations that have gone on, um, you know, it, it's been this drip, 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 Sally Yates investigation. They get everything right? She, she did not get everything right with regard to us. I mean, starting with the fact she said that we didn't fully cooperate and, and obstructed her investigation, which is categorically wrong we we did over six hours of interviews with her we gave her all the documents she wanted that is it's a tough one to me that, that she framed it that way she also said that i was aware of abuse that paul riley had had prior to monish shim's complaint in 2014 and that she the basis for that was there was an email that sent was sent that was a player survey that essentially said that Paul was verbally abusive or yelled at, at, at players in practices, which, you know, I, I, at the time, you know, that was everybody's sense of coaching and what coaching was. I think we've evolved since then, but but certainly I don't think I've had a coach on the men's or women's side, you know, who didn't yell. Um, so I, there, there's some issues that we had with framing um, in, in there and then, and then some significant substantive issues like the the fact that, that that we didn't cooperate which is just categorically wrong there there's going to be people who are not happy with you just selling the thorns they're going to want you to sell the timbers why why stop at the thorns i first of all i'd say i appreciate everybody's passion um here and 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 this is a city as you know that you know people have strong opinions and care deeply about their clubs and that's always something that i valued um and whether you know they're they're negative uh, opinions or not, uh, 
you know, these are two different leagues. First of all, my decision to sell the Thorns is not a forced decision because of something that happened in 2015. This is a voluntary decision because I truly believe it's what's best for the Thorns in, in that league. And I have been a very influential voice at the league level in NWSL, and the Thorns need an influential voice at the league level going forward. And I think because of what's transpired over the last year and the you know there's been a lot of things that have contributed to a disproportionate spotlight that's been put on the thorns in an overall systemic set of issues that have gone to a ton of other teams and a, and a ton of other people there's a systemic issue in the NWSL but there has been a disproportionate spotlight placed on us for a variety of reasons yeah but you get why do you understand yeah, why yeah, I like get why because that, Paul yeah. because Paul was the the, the 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 face of these things and because portland is also a passionate market and and all the all those reasons i'm telling you that that's why i believe that and it's a difficult decision that we benefit in that league from a fresh voice at the league level mls is a different league and john you you know we for well over a decade we've run these teams not just in a way that they've been successful more often than not on the field but but the work we've done in the community is is I don't think second to anything. And stand together efforts and 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 we we've honestly always operated with 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 best intent. Always tried to do our best, even when we failed. Uh, you know, the only only people who never um, make mistakes are people who don't make decisions. And and more often than not, the decisions we've made have been the right decisions. And. Uh, you know, I, I can continue to be a very effective owner at less level, more so if both teams were being sold, the Thorns would would be a lot less protected in how everything evolved. They would not be sold in a bundled fashion that, that wouldn't be allowed um, from from MLS. And the you know when I, when I continue to own the timbers, I can main, make make sure that the thorns are well situated in the stadium with new ownership under very advantageous terms in a way that will be seamless to fans. Branding will exist as it was before. We'll make sure the new ownership uh, continue our efforts to build a full-time training facility for the thorns. They'd be one of the only teams in the NWSL to have that when that um, effort is completed on a grass field. Um, so it actually puts me in a position to better protect the thorns by continuing to own the timbers, which I think uh, is critical. But I can still have a powerful voice at the MLS level. Um, you know, so you know, I guess again, that's a, a more lengthy answer, but uh, hopefully that addresses the question. One of the things that uh, that I think is lost in this is that you know you are viewed or you are as part of an ownership group were viewed as one of the strong candidates to one day own the blazers does that die amid all of this in your eyes i i, I don't know i mean I, I i've been so focused on 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 soccer and, and and passionate about soccer and 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 you know this has been a tumultuous year for so many people and 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 us Certainly, it's been a painful year and a growing year. I've never been more challenged than I have over this last year. I mean, I've just got my, um, you know, my hands full, focused on making sure that we do the right things for these clubs and 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 for this city and investing and continuing to invest in this city. I mean, we've put, I've put um, over a hundred and twenty million of private money into a publicly owned stadium. I don't know how many other people have done that. Um, 
here and 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 you know as I've talked about the efforts in the community and 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 other things actually as part of this sale of the thorns we'll be putting um, seven figures to found and seed a player safety office at the NWSL um, level which Commissioner Berman has, has put in place and I'm proud of that as well so um, you know, look. I, it's a, again. I, I'm not being overly direct, but um, you know, I, I, I've got. We've got our hands full right now, and and um, I, we're not turning our back on women's soccer. Far from it. I, I think we're going to be operating the the, the, the Thorns games, and um, in, a, in a way, again, that's that's you know, absolutely in the best interest of the NWSL and the new ownership. Merritt Paulson with us, uh, owner of the Timbers, owner of the Thorns. For now, uh, as you. As you make this announcement, is there already an identified group that you're negotiating with? Is it to be determined? Where is it? It's to, to be determined. There's some very, uh, I know there's very interested groups out there. Um, one has been vocal in the media, but 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 most haven't. That, that process is going to be uh, something that we take our time on and get right. Um, making sure that, you know, obviously the league will have to approve new ownership and um, uh, again, I'd like it to be a female-led group with it's well-resourced that's very passionate about soccer in a way that I have been and about women's soccer, obviously. The, you know, the valuations of these franchises are somewhere between $60 million and $100 million. I, I think there's going to be a, a camp out there that will say Hey, Merritt Paulson got rich off this. Um, you know, what what have been the operating costs for the Thorns over the years? Just just so we can kind of frame what this franchise is worth financially. We've we've never pulled a dollar out of this organization, be it the Timbers or the Thorns. It's always we've had far more expenses in capital expenses than we've had uh, profits. And I've invested a ton into the Thorns um, over the years, um, and it, it, it's certainly not something um, that. You know, there's nothing financial and, and that's that, that's motivating this. Um, you know, so I, 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 you know, I'll assure you that. All right, let me, you know, you didn't you didn't get a chance to talk with the the women who were who were victimized in this. What would you say to them now if they were listening to this? Well, I, I would. I don't know if I'd be able to start with anything, but I'm sorry. I mean, the, the, you know, they there's no excuse for that coach ever working another day. He shouldn't have been working to begin with, uh, and certainly never should have worn a Portland Thorns badge. Um, we could have done more, and we could have done better. And they were failed by uh, institutions and people. And uh, you know, I think the league's going to be stronger coming out of this. But I guess that's that's where I'd start, John. Were they failed by you? Yes. Because I think that's important. I think there, I think that you know I hear. You talking about the institutions? I hear you talking about the league. I think it's important that is there potential litigation here? Is this is this part of why you need to be careful, or maybe you haven't spoken to this point? No, no, it's it's not about that. Um, I, I I think you know, look, the league has leaned into the all these investigations. There have been m multiple you know different investigations that have been launched, and the league's been very serious about player safety and becoming. You know, a league that moving from a league that had systemic issues to a league that's a model of player safety. So it's not about uh, th that side, but um, uh, again, um, you know, I, I, for the role that, that we did play in those systemic issues, um, to say I regret that would be an understatement. Yeah, Merritt, you know, it, it, it's just if this moves forward, the team will be sold. You know, you'll continue to operate the Timbers. 
under this plan. Um, how how have you changed in the last year? How will you be different moving forward? Uh, well, I, I talked about, you know, how challenged I've been. I think that, that learning to listen more than I have in the past is, is, is something that that has been a change. I mean, we've learned leaned into E and I efforts in a unique way. Um, we've we've been talking to commissioners and, and advisors and um, and sponsors and, and and fans and understanding their concerns and their stories and making changes at our organization um, with new processes and protocols. And I'm taking a step back. Um, from an active role as an operator and will only be an owner, um, you know, ultimately all you can do is learn and try to get better and grow, and, and you know, that's what I keep trying to do. Barrett Paulson, I appreciate your time, appreciate you speaking out on this show, and uh, uh, look forward to see what happens next. Thank you, John. Well, there's Merritt Paulson speaking in the first one-on-one -on -one exclusive interview that he has done since uh, announcing that the Portland Thorns uh, are going to be sold. In fact, it's the first interview he's done since, really, the investigation into Paul Riley broke months and months ago. Uh, did he go halfway? Does, does he need to go further, in your mind, as a listener? Does uh, what he did today, does it, did it, does it satisfy and does it assure you that something like this would never happen again? Uh, you know, we obviously have to think first about the women who were abused, the women who, the survivors who were abused by a coach and then abused by a system, a franchise, an owner, management, a league. Like, you know, the abuse here and the damage here extends beyond just a coach. Uh, it was a systemic problem with the Thorns. It was a systemic problem with the league. It was a problem with ownership and management. But what do you make of it all? As a listener of this show, your community, 503 417-7575. You weigh in. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Three four one seven seventy five seventy five. Jude Anubi in for John Kinsano. We just heard the exclusive one on one interview John had with Merritt Paulson in the wake of this morning's announcement that Merritt Paulson will sell the Portland Thorns, will maintain ownership, however, of the Portland Timbers. It is not a happy day in Portland. Uh, it may be a necessary one, though. And there is a lot to get to out of that Merritt Paulson conversation, and we we will do it right here on this show. I've got a lot of thoughts coming out of that. I'm sure you guys do as well. You can always tweet at 750 the game, tweet at Judah Newby, and of course call in at 503-417-7575. Uh, first off, the you know the reason that it's sad is well, first of all, I mean it's a sad topic. I mean, having a coach uh, in this city uh, at any capacity at any level of any sport. That uh, that is being accused of the things that Paul Riley 
uh, is accused of that he allegedly did, sexual coercion with players, uh, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, all of these things. That's saddening. It's very, very saddening. It's very, um, you know, it, it, it's it's terrifying in a lot of ways. And uh, for those of you that have followed this story from September of 2021 to the point we're at now, you know, I'm sure that just hearing Merritt Paulson moments ago with John Cazzano doesn't exactly bring you, uh, you resolution as a as an engaged listener or maybe a fan of the Portland Thorns. It certainly doesn't bring final resolution for the victims and those people, uh, those women, first and foremost, should be at the front of our minds and our hearts when we talk about this topic. And, and that's the way it should be. Uh, that being said. I think this is a necessary step, you know, to, to sell the Portland Thorns. But it comes with very real, um, practical, pragmatic consequences. As someone that's been involved with the uh, Portland Timbers professionally and uh, fanatically as a fan, attend a lot of games at Providence Park as a fan, as a media member, um, I, I emotionally invested with PTFC, both Timbers and Thorns. Uh, I, I host the Talk Timbers weekly radio show as well. We loved covering the Thorns, especially in the last couple of months when they were able to compartmentalize all the outside distractions, focus on the task at hand, and win the league title from start to finish in some epic ways. It was great talking to the coaches, talking to the players. This is an amazing club. The Portland Thorns are an amazing club. They mean a lot. And uh, to this city and to this market. And they've got fans all over the place. That's the amazing thing. Um, And so this is significant and a little sad that ownership of the Portland Thorns is going to be separate from ownership of the Portland Timbers. That brotherhood-sisterhood relationship that we've kind of grown so fond of, I know I've grown fond of it, that's going to get severed a little bit. Not maybe completely, not totally, but a little bit. And uh, and that hurts, and that hurts. But sometimes for for proper healing, you need to hurt a little bit. Uh, that's just one of the many layers of reaction that I have from this, Stephen. I'm sure you have some reaction as well. But I'm eager to hear from the listeners at 503-417-7575. Uh, we will start with uh, Dave in Portland. Uh, go ahead, Dave. Hey, yeah, thanks. Um, I really think that uh, John let him off the hook with some of those softball questions that he asked. Um, he never went into, I know this was you guys are focusing on the thorns, but there's a lot of domestic abuse where they tried to pay off that gal and they shipped off that player down to uh, Southern America. You know, there's nothing, he didn't bring anything about that. It's the same, same leadership. He's still going to cover stuff up that, like he wants to. I really think John let him off the hook. Was kind of disappointed uh, on that he did let him off the hook, but just throwing softball questions at him. David, thanks for the call. Uh, he's referring to the Andy Polo stuff uh, and the domestic violence stuff uh, with Andy that bizarrely, you know, coincided with all of this back in back in the spring. And uh, you know that is kind of a it's definitely a separate topic, but it's interrelated insofar as it's another topic with uh, PTFC that involves women as victims of of alleged and uh, proven you know crimes and domestic violence situations. Um, really, just just unappetizing stuff. And uh, I'm going to leave that be for now. Forgive me, David. I, I'm not going to go in uh, very much depth on that. I frankly couldn't disagree with you more about softball questions. 
I mean, just the fact that he didn't bring up a different topic does not mean that these were softball questions. In fact, I 100% disagree. I thought, well, I've heard a lot of John Canzano interviews, okay? He is not exactly one whose reputation was built on uh, softball questions, <laughs> as it were. The name of the show is The Bald-Faced Truth, and he's been true to that. He was true to that in the interview with Merritt, and I will reset audio cuts for you if you'd like to prove that that was the case. These were not softball questions. John did a really nice job, and uh, and we'll reset that in moments, in- including including reiterating with Merritt Paulson, did you fail these women? Because Merritt didn't volunteer that language, but John gave him the opportunity to affirm that he, in fact, individually failed those women, which he did, and he said that he did. That's good interview skill, and that was necessary, and John did a good job in that. I I disagree, David, that those were softball questions because he didn't bring up a, a topic that was outside of the sale of the Portland Thorns. 503-417-7575. Sam is in Portland online, too. Sam, what'd you think? Great great segue, uh, because I agree with you. I I was listening, and Merritt, you know, said institutions, and then John came right back at him and said, hey, did you fail them? And he said, yes. And so that was a great question, and he got it on record. And I think Merritt is doing what he's always done along the way in this situation is protect him, cut his cut, cut his losses, whatever he can do to hold on to some kind of power or ownership. And uh, when he said, yes, I failed him, to me, he should sell both teams. He should be forced to sell both teams and not have any ownership or any, um, you know, relationship with either one of the teams. And, and I wonder, to the listeners and to you and to everyone else, what would be the different the difference if, let's say, the Blazers? Because we used to have a WNBA team here. What if the Blazers had w, you know owned the WNBA team, and the same thing happened in that situation? Wouldn't we say that the owner of the Blazers has to go and sell both teams? I, I think we would, and I think the city. I, I don't think Merritt survives this. I think eventually, sooner or later, he is going to be forced out. Um, of the Timbers and forced to sell because I, I don't think the fans and the, and the people in here and across the country are going to accept it. I, I think it's a cop-out. I think he should go and get, if he really cares about the WNBA, or excuse me, the the uh, women's Thorns team and the feature, then he needs to walk away and, and let them have a fresh start. And that means no more Merritt Paulson in Portland soccer. And that's my opinion. It's a good call. Sam in Portland, thank you for that. You can feel free to follow up on that at 503-417-7575. I did think about that today. The relationship between the NBA and the WNBA compared to the relationship between Major League Soccer and the National Women's Soccer League, it's not one for one. And I don't know entirely the details of how interrelated NBA and WNBA is, but I know that it's not like NWSL, MLS. I mean, if there's anything that we've learned in all of this, whether it's Merritt reiterating it himself in the in the uh, interview with John, or if it's MLS Commissioner Don Garber at the State of the Union address a month ago down in Los Angeles, when he went on the record and said, I am not pressuring Merritt Paulson to sell the Portland Timbers. He has been a great owner for the Timbers. He has been a great owner in Major League Soccer because... Let's remind everyone, these are two 
separate leagues. Fundamentally, these are two separate leagues. The Major League Soccer would not let Merritt Paulson sell the Portland Thorns with the Portland Timbers. Merritt just said that in the interview. You would not be allowed to have a quote-unquote bundled sale. They have to be two separate sales. And Don Garber has said, Merritt Paulson has said, many others have said that there's there's no reason for us to pressure him into a sale of the MLS portion of PTFC. I did find it interesting. Uh, Sportico has had some reporting on this about valuations of the franchises and of the clubs. And John mentioned it with Merritt in the conversation moments ago as well. Like you're looking at between the two clubs combined, Portland Timbers, Portland Thorns FC, like something in the 650 to $680 million range of valuation, which is a, a, a lot higher than where uh, they were when Merritt purchased them initially. Uh, which, which you know, was obviously it was near the beginnings of of the 2010s era uh, when the Timbers joined MLS in 2011. But the original purchase of the Timbers by Peregrine Sports LLC goes back a few years even before that. The purchase of the Thorns in 2012 was a year before their first year in NWSL in 2013. The overall point being $680 million valuation of PTFC, Thorns, and Timbers combined, whereas handicapping the potential sale that Paulson would get from selling the thorns specifically, it figures to be, you know, at the ceiling might be 50 million. It might be 50 million of the 680 combined valuation. That gives you a sense of what the MLS club is worth compared to the NWSL club, monetarily speaking, potential potential sale speaking. The the Washington NWSL club just got sold a month ago, I want to say, for about $35 million, and that kind of gave you a picture and a benchmark of what an NWSL club would, would sell for. So in this, in this case, I think that would probably be similar, but probably a little bit more, given that no team in the history of NWSL has had more success than the Portland Thorns. Three-time league champions, two-time Supporter Shield winners, uh, including you know winning the, the reigning league crown all since 2013. Uh, but for as much notoriety as they've gained on the field, unfortunately, they've gained a decent amount of notoriety off the field as well in the wake of uh, the allegations of this uh, sexual and verbal abuse from Paul Riley. But um, I, I find it interesting. And then John also asked Merritt, hey, give us an idea of operating costs with the thorns. Like, what are we looking at? Merritt said, we haven't, we haven't pulled a dollar out of the Portland thorns. I've invested a lot. We haven't pulled a dollar out of the Portland Thorns. I found that interesting, too. Like, he is reiterating that selling the team, selling the Portland Thorns, is not a money grab on his part. Um, I'm in, I'm inclined to believe him, and it's tough. Like, there's a duality going on with this for me. I really like Merritt. I've had enough personal interactions with him. I don't know him nearly as well as a lot of people do, uh, but I like him. And, you know, as I kind of examine my own heart on this over the last year and a half, et cetera. Uh, you have to, you have to see pretty clearly that he failed in some important ways at some important moments. And that sucks. That really freaking sucks. Um, but it does not necessarily mean that he is in total an incompetent or bad owner. And that's the other part of it too. Culture these days want to make things so black and white. 
It's not the case. It's not the case. I got more reaction to come. Curious yours as well. 503-417-7575. More BFT. Nubian for Kazano here on the BFT Radio Network. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. Have you talked to any of the women who, who were uh, abused? No, no. I've, Why? I, Why I, not? Uh, I, I, I have volunteered to talk to them through the players association. So I, I, I made that clear, but I didn't want to be intrusive either. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I had a conversation with the head of the NWSL players association, saying I'd, I'd welcome the opportunity to talk to them. Um, but that's got to be something they want to do as well. That was part of the exclusive one-on-one interview, Mary Paulson with John Canzano that we aired earlier this hour, right here on Seven Fifty The Game and the BFT Radio Network. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five for your reaction there. In hour number two, we'll talk a little bit uh, about the Pac-12 championship game tomorrow night. USC Utah. George Klyovkov, Merton Hanks gave their press conferences. Uh, earlier this morning as well. Some good topics to dig into there. John Cazano was on the scene asking some good uh, good questions too. What's going on with officiating? What's going on with the media rights deal? How many times can you say the word bullish in one answer? We'll get to all of that. Plus, Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune will be our guest in uh, at 4.30. We'll get a Utah perspective of how the heck did they find themselves in the Pac-12 title game again? Seriously. Two weeks ago, I thought it was Utah's Super Bowl at Autzen. They lose the game. Two weeks later, they're they're playing to defend their conference championship. College football is crazy sometimes, but we'll get to that. Uh, we'll also play some punch and audio, get a big splash in there. A Beaver quarterback is in the transfer portal. All that and more, plus continued reaction to the Merritt Paulson interview with John Canzano. You heard in the clip there that uh, Merritt has... Yet to talk uh, individually to the victims, but he has uh, made his offer to to the uh, Players Association to talk to them uh, if they're so inclined. But there's a lot more to unpack here, but ultimately Portland Thorns will be sold. To what group? That remains to be determined. We'll talk about uh, one of the interested parties that have made their names public over the last uh, couple of weeks' time and what that would mean. More BFT, newbie and for Gazzano on the BFT Radio Network. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby with the bald-faced truth. Hour two of the BFT. Newby in for Canzano today. John on his way down to Las Vegas. If you missed any part of the Mara Paulson exclusive one-on-one with John Canzano, it will be part of the podcast of today's show up in moments as well on 750thegame.com, and we'll continue to react to that as the show unfolds. Taking you up to 515, where the hood takes on Josh Allen. Belichick, Bills. It's a good one. Finally, we got a good one, Stephen Vaughn, on Thursday Night Football. It's been a few weeks. Yeah, I feel like it's always just bad team and bad team. I think Al Michaels is the most happy out of anybody. 
He doesn't have to announce one of these bad matchups again. And he lets you know. He lets you know it's a bad matchup. But tonight, it seems like it could be a good one. Yeah, the amount of uh, the amount of space that he gives to the sports betting conversation on Thursday Night Football generally tells you the quality of the matchup. Man, I'm still. I've, I got burned by Bears Commanders like a month and a half ago, and I have not been able to watch Thursday Night Football the same since. I was I was a week too early on betting Justin Fields. Oh man, it still hurts. Well, I mean, and the Commanders now they turn out to be a They're okay good. team. They're okay. Are they fine? Who's They're better? Okay. Who's better, the Commanders or the Seahawks? Oh, dude, come on now. One team's going to the Super Bowl. One team's not going to go to the playoffs. Commanders. No, that's low. Slow. Blazers uh, go down to L.A. last night, fall short to LeBron and the Lakers. Uh, it's a defensive-minded team, Stephen Vaughn, in case you didn't know. The Blazers are a defensive-minded team. How much did they give up last night? Uh, a lot. And, uh, yeah, there's uh, there was a tweet about that, about defensive-minded team. I did not agree. I tweeted back at him. But, um, yeah, I mean, the Blazers' defensive regression, it's real. It's real, Judah. Uh, you know, they were top 10 start the year. Now they're 24th in the league. Oh. So, uh it's real and it's spectacular. Well, they got to get their best defender back, and that's Damian Lillard. I mean, the thing is, is they're waiting for GP two. <laughs> like honestly, they're waiting for GP two to be that guy because they can't guard ball handlers, and that is important in basketball to to guard the ball handler. Dude, I don't know if you know that either. Well, as a dynamic ball handler myself, uh, in street ball, etc. Yeah, I know you gotta guard me, otherwise it's gonna be a long day for you, so yeah. I agree. Whoever's got the ball, you gotta guard him, and the Blazers don't have anybody that can guard the dribble, so uh, GP2, if and when he comes back, that he'll be the guy, but without him, man, they don't have anyone that can do that, and I, I don't think that the Blazers are 24th bad in defense, but they're definitely not towards the top 10. I think they're more 16 to 20. I think this is kind of just a bad stretch going on, but uh, yeah, it's not looking good here in Rip City. Dame coming back soon? Yeah, he's supposed to be coming back Sunday. That's that's the report. Hopefully Sunday against the Pacers. They play Saturday in Utah, uh, and then I believe they're home against the Pacers on Sunday, and that's when he's hoping to shoot to come back. 503-417-7575. You got the bald-faced truth. Judah Newby in for John Canzano. John down, uh, going down to Vegas for the Pac-12 title game. But before he did, he did secure the exclusive one-on-one radio interview with Merritt Paulson. We'll reset some of uh, the top moments right now uh, on the show in case you missed it back in hour one or if you've got any more reaction to it, feel free at 503-417-7575. Uh, John gave Merritt the opportunity to reiterate what he would like to say uh, to the victims should they be listening uh, to the radio interview, and um, you know what what kind of message would he like to uh, have them hear now? Chance to talk with the the women who were who were victimized in this. What would you say to them now if they were listening to this? Well, I, I would. I don't know if I'd be able to start with anything, but I'm sorry. I mean, the, you know, they. There's no excuse for that coach ever working another day. He shouldn't have been working to begin with, uh, and certainly never should have worn a Portland Thorns badge. Um, we could have done more, and we could have done better. And they were failed by uh, institutions and people, and. Uh, you know, I think the league's going to be stronger coming out of this, but I guess that's that's where I'd start, John. Were they failed by you? Yes. That was an important last couple of seconds there. Were they failed by you? Yes. And that's it. 
that that was an important admission. I'm glad John pushed to get that one on the record. Uh, he also asked Merritt uh, to clarify, are you making money off the Portland Thorns and this sale for those that are, are looking at you with, with this sale potential and that this is a, a money grab opportunity and Merritt had a chance to clarify exactly the money dynamics here. You know, the valuations of these franchises are somewhere between $60 million and $100 million. I, I think there's going to be a, a camp out there that will say, hey, Merritt Paulson got rich off this. Um, you know, what what have been the operating costs for the Thorns over the years? Just just so we can kind of frame what this franchise is worth financially. We've, we've never pulled a dollar out of this organization, be it the Timbers or the Thorns. It's always we've had far more expenses and capital expenses than we've had uh, profits. And I've invested a ton into the Thorns um, over the years. Um, and it, it, it's certainly not something um, that – you know, there's nothing financial and, and that's that, that's motivating this. Um, you know, so I, 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 you know, I'll assure you that. As for potential groups to purchase the Portland Thorns, have any been identified? As you make this announcement, is there already an identified group that you're negotiating with? Is it to be determined? Where is it? It's to, to be determined. There's some very, uh, I know there's very interested groups out there. Um, one has been vocal in the media, but 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 most haven't. That that process is going to be uh, something that we take our time on and get right, um, making sure that you know, obviously the league will have to approve new ownership. And um, uh, again, I'd like it to be a female-led group with it's well-resourced, that's very passionate about soccer in a way that I have been, and about women's soccer, obviously. The group Merritt is referencing that's been public and on the record is an ownership group led by women, notably Mel Strong, a former Nike vice president, currently one of the managing partners of Next Ventures, which is a health and wellness investing company. Sue Levin, a co-founder and CEO at Lucy, also a former brand director for women's sports at Nike. And Ann Rodriguez, former WNBA chief operating officer among other relevant roles that is the trio that is leading a uh, a strong leadership group and a strong at least public interest in a potential bid to purchase the portland thorns uh later on we'll also reset some of uh, Merritt's comments that it's actually best for the thorns in his view if he maintains ownership of the timbers because given his stature with the Timbers and Major League Soccer, and also, by the way, the fact that Peregrine Sports is owning and operating the lease from the city of Portland for the stadium in which they play, Merritt, by continuing to own the Portland Timbers, will have a, a role to play in keeping the Portland Thorns not only in the city of Portland, but playing their home matches at Providence Park, and that is something uh, that's notable as well. Continuing to take your reaction at 503-417-7575. Bill is in Portland, and he's on the show now. Hi, Bill. Hi, Gina. How are you? Good. How are you? Fine. Thanks for taking my call. I won't take up time. As a sexual abuse survivor, I would disagree that uh, the subject is black and white. There is no gray area. So uh, Merritt's not thinking about the survivors. He's thinking about himself, and he's covering for himself. And we should all keep in mind, it's about the survivors. So, thanks for taking my call. Appreciate that, Bill. Appreciate that. That That's meaningful. 
that's really fundamentally where it should start and stop. Like, removed from the format of talk radio. That's where it should start and stop. Is being mindful of of survivors. Right? Bill, I appreciate the phone call. Thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for the courage. And thank you for sharing that. Um, I also know other others with similar backgrounds and have had uh, lengthy discussions with them about how that's affected them on a very real, very real basis. That's where it really should start and stop. Alas, it's a, t- it's a talk format, and I think there, there's healthy conversations to be had. Black and white might not be the most helpful language. I do admit that um, in terms of you know, should a person continue to own and operate a a sports club when, you know, there are certain failures? And I, I, w- I would call them failures. I don't like to call them mistakes because people could call mistakes, you know, you can define mistake however way you'd like to. The reality of it is the definition of mistake has been diluted because everybody says it and it doesn't mean crap. I made a mistake. Just forget about it. Move on. No, that's not how this works. Failures is, I think, a more strong and more appropriate word here. Um, And there are leadership failures. In fact, you know, I was just thinking about Megan Rapinoe. It wasn't so long ago that University of Portland legend Megan Rapinoe plays in the NWSL as well. Longtime uh, member of the OL Reign as they're now known in the the, uh, Seattle area. You know, she was talking about Merritt Paulson and ownership of, of the Thorns. Obviously, the firings in Portland. Um, we'll see what happens with the management, but I don't think that Merritt Paulson is fit to be the man or the uh, owner of that team. I don't think Arnhem is fit to be the owner of Chicago. Um, and we, we need to see those people gone. So people who are fit and who will take care of the game, respect the game, and help the game grow in the best way possible. And when I mentioned in hour number one about it not being necessarily a black and white issue, the the immediate topic there was sale of the Portland Timbers as well. Because I, I agree. I frankly think today is the right thing. Merritt saying and announcing that he's going to sell the Portland Thorns. Having stepped down as CEO, having fired Mike Golub, having fired Gavin Wilkinson as well back in October, having stepped down as CEO of both the Timbers and the Thorns himself, and putting the thorns up for sale, I think that was the right thing. What I was also positing was that I think there there were deeper levels that we could get to with the conversation regarding ownership fit of the Portland Timbers. And I'd be willing to admit that while I don't think a sale of the Portland Timbers is capital N necessary, I don't. I don't. I think a lot of people there, I know there's a lot of people out there that disagree with me, and I understand that. But please know that that does not mean I'm not also being mindful first and foremost of the women affected by the Paul Riley scandal. Both things can be true. 503-417-7575. And uh, frankly, you know, I, as I was thinking about the topic and I was thinking about the show, I, I remembered when... Uh, Sinead Farley and uh, Mana Shim were coming out publicly with their stories and the the ways in which they were hurt, and it was heartbreaking. And uh, 
Steven, I don't know if you <laughs> you probably didn't know, but uh, I tried to bury my head behind the computer a little bit because, you know, I was crying today. And I don't like to admit that necessarily, but it was heartbreaking to hear some of, you know, their audio again. This is audio from like over a year ago with CBS This Morning. But I felt it necessary for myself to get my heart back in the right place, to get my mind back in the right place with this topic. I was like, let me go back and listen to them again. Let me go back and listen to them again. Because that would help kind of recenter me a little bit. And uh, as a father of a young daughter now, uh, at 15 months old, it hits a little different. It hits a little different. So this was some of the audio of uh, Mana Shim and Sinead Farley with CBS This Morning. Again, over a year ago, this is not new, this is back in September, but I, I feel important to get their voices on the radio show as well when we're talking about this topic. Uh, first, Mana Shim. Big picture, our institution failed us. The system, right? It's the people in power, not just the coach who abused us, but the leadership team that enabled him and allowed him to go coach elsewhere. So I think it was just a, a total lack of leadership and accountability, and they didn't care. Lack of leadership, lack of accountability, they didn't care. More than just the coach, the people that enabled it. Monashim continued. The number of times that we have to hear this story and talk about it, we shouldn't have to do this over and over and over again. But until they put the policies in place, until they take real action, I'm telling you, these apologies are empty to me. So in my opinion, every single person who was a part of this, who was a part of covering this up, who knew, they need to step down. At the very least, be suspended by the league. So that was Monashim in September of 2021, or I guess that would be October of 2021 after the athletics initial report um, with CBS this morning saying, Hey, the people involved in the leadership positions, AKA Merritt Paulson, they need to step down or at the very least be suspended. Well, Merritt did step down uh, ultimately 12 months after that audio clip, stepped down as CEO of the Timbers and the Thorns and uh, today announces the sale of the Portland Thorns. He will sell the Thorns. And uh, now the ownership of PTFC will be split now between uh, the Timbers and the Thorns. And uh, Paulson and Peregrine Sports will maintain ownership of Portland Timbers. Uh, we'll play more of that audio uh, throughout the show. We'll continue to reset the Merritt Paulson conversation. If you disagree with me as well, I'm eager to hear from you or at least, or at least refocus it or... You know, bring some words to it that you think are important that I may be missing. I'm willing to admit that. 503-417-7575. We'll also play some punch and audio, and we'll talk to uh, Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune, at the bottom of the hour, previewing Utes, Trojans, and the Pac-12 championship game. A much more comfortable topic and a much more exciting topic. Uh, but today, the realism of what we're looking at here is setting in, and Merritt Paulson selling the Portland Thorns is chief among it. More BFT back in a moment. Newbie in for Canzano on the BFT Radio Network. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune will join us at the bottom of the hour. Judah Newby in for John Cazano on the BFT and the BFT Radio Network. Bills Patriots Thursday Night Football at 515. If you missed the Merritt Paulson one-on-one exclusive that we aired in hour number one, we are resetting audio from that throughout the show as well. And you can find the full podcast live now on 750thegame.com and also subscribing to the BFT wherever you get your podcasts. All right, before Josh Newman joins us at the bottom of the hour, Stephen Vaughn, let's play some Punch It audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. A Beaver quarterback is on the move. Punch it. Nolan needs to hit a ball here. And that one is tipped and intercepted. And USC is going to get out of Corvallis with a win. That was the fourth interception on the night for Chance Nolan in the USC game. We all remember that one in late September. Who's going to take a chance on Chance? Well, we'll see. Chance Nolan has entered the transfer portal. Or the transfer portal. Hey, just thought of that. Not bad. Late in the That's week. second good joke of the day. Pretty Damian good. Lillard, number one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm all right. One an hour. You know, if I can slip one in next hour, then I'm good, too. I was just saying, the third hour is going to be tough because it's a shorter shorter hour. Short segment. Chance Nolan. Where do you think Where do you think would be a right fit for Chance Nolan, Stephen? I mean, are we talking like a Power 5 school? We're seeing quarterback. I just saw McNamara went from Michigan to Iowa, which I think is great. Yeah. Iowa can never have a really good quarterback, so why don't we take the guy that couldn't end up uh, winning the job at Michigan? Yeah, doomed to it's fail perfect. there. I, I think he's more <laughs> of a Mountain West type guy. I don't think he's quite Power Five. I just didn't see the didn't see the maturity, and he threw a lot of interceptions this year. I, I think he's a uh, more of a mid-major type guy. So Chance Nolan in the transfer portal. Uh, the portal's going wild, wild. Be mindful. Monday, December fifth. We begin a 45-day transfer portal window. Transfer window, that is. There will be a 15-day window, I think, in May, something like that. So we'll get a, uh, a total of 60 days for these guys to transfer. But it really gets going next week, and so you're seeing guys get into the portal right now. Uh, let's see. Elsewhere, how about the Blazes down in the City of Angels last night? Shaden Sharp. Big highlight. Punch it. For Simons. Sidesteps Bryant. Triggers the throw. Oh! Get on up for the downstroke. Shaden Sharp scrapes the sky with her right hand hammer. Ho-ho! We've been waiting for that. That was pretty wild, dude. Uh, he, he came in from about the three-point line, saw that ball uh, go up from the outside, timed it perfect, and just kept on climbing. And Fernie Simons won the dunk contest two years ago now. Has it been that long, or was it last year? Two, yeah, COVID year. It was the two COVID years. year? Yeah. Shaden Sharp, pretty good candidate if you want one, right? Uh, John Morant. John Morant tweeted out he wants to see Shaden Sharp in the dunk contest. So yes. uh, I think there's a real push. Sharp has made some comments kind of pushing back against it like he doesn't necessarily want to because it's one of those things where you look at the dunk contest now, it doesn't mean anything, and there's a lot of players that don't even really play that do it. So I think you can really only lose. You can't really win in it. Interesting. 
I thought it was great that Anferni won it a couple years ago. I do too. Like if you look but at he, that he was, was the reason he got a hundred mil. But that's the crazy part is like he was by far the best player kidding. in it. Like yeah. in a long time. Like he's been the best player in, in the dunk contest. So uh I'm I'm just more excited that Shaden Sharp actually shot the ball well. Yeah, so went seven to twelve last night. He was shooting okay. uh his last six games, Judah. Check this out. He was shooting twenty two percent from the field in his last six games before last night. So I was just glad he got a little bit back on track. Uh and scores the points. Boy, don't need Shaden Dull. Need Shaden Sharp. That was wah, pretty bad. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, that, that took away the two good jokes I had earlier. Down That's to one. for sure. Uh, Patrick Peterson. This was great. This was great. So Patrick Peterson, obviously the LSU standout, former Arizona Cardinal, ergo, former teammate of Kyler Murray. Now Pat is doing things with the Vikings, and he's also doing things on his podcast called All Things Covered. And uh, in the All Things Covered podcast, Patrick Peterson said this about Kyler Murray. Punch it. Kyler Murray is talking about, and, and I don't like how he's doing that. I think he should keep some things privately, but it tells me he doesn't care about the head coach, his head coach. And he's putting everything on the head coach, basically saying, Kyler Murray don't care about nobody but Kyler Murray. <laughs> That's just a matter of fact. Well, well, yeah, well, I, I got it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, Hey, I can't, I can't argue. I don't know him personally. You played with him for a few years, so I got to take your word for it. Got to take his word for it. That's Patrick Peterson, that yeah. second voice that you heard in there saying, Kyler Murray doesn't care about anybody besides Kyler Murray. Brian, so, Brian McFadden was lost for words when he said that. He's like, he could not believe that he said that about him. It's kind of unlike Patrick Peterson. Everybody talks about him as a really good teammate, etc. You know, stand-up guy, but... Hey, man, podcasts do something to you. They, they do something. You put people on blast on a podcast, you don't even know it. That's true. <laughs> Kyler, uh, I know. Check out the Believe in Blazers podcast. <laughs> I call people out all the time. Um, but Lay Kyler, Kyler, for you. Kyler clapped back on him on Twitter and uh, you know said, if you have something to say, say it to me. So uh, I don't know. I, I think it's going to go away, this problem. But it was very interesting to hear uh, a player like that in Patrick Peterson call out the quarterback and really just throw him under the bus. Also, I don't think uh, Peterson's wrong. I think Kyler doesn't really care about anybody besides Kyler, and there's a decent amount of evidence of that. The Cardinals are in a bad way, man. They gave extensions to Steve Kime, the GM, to Cliff Kingsbury, the head coach, and a boatload of money to Kyler Murray, the quarterback. Who do you throw most blame on? Cliff. Is Cl- it, so, but Cl- Cliff, I mean- Cliff doesn't know what he's doing. And then Kyler. Peterson made it act like he's going to be the scapegoat and that Cliff's not a terrible coach. I didn't play for Cliff. I would respectfully disagree with that assertion. Yeah. I think Cliff is in over his head, especially for a guy that was hired to run that thing because of his offensive acumen. And this is what we got. A team that is second to last in DVOA rankings. DVOA being like the universal schedule adjusted efficiency marker how good is your team the cardinals are 31st okay a four-win football team after handing out boatloads of extensions it's bad ownership too by michael bidwell jr and the bidwells have owned that you know franchise for a long time it ain't going well down there in the desert i tell you what it's gonna be a great hire for whatever college signs him to be their offensive coordinator next season you think you think cliff would, would that's the thing i don't know if they're gonna fire him right now because they, they just extended all these cats and they've saying. got money like, at he's stake. gonna get fired later and then all these jobs will be scooped up in oh. college all that's left is the offensive coordinator job and he has because that's remember before he went to the cardinals he was usc's offensive coordinator 
for like uh, a month. Right, but he like he he wasn't <laughs> he the head coach. Play. Like, yeah, he was not the head coach. Like that's kind of the level he was at. So I don't know that he's necessarily elevated that if he gets fired from the Cardinals. Cardinals, we beat him twice. That's awesome. Uh, speaking of play callers and offensive coordinators in college jobs, we'll finish punching it with this. John Harbaugh, Ravens head coach, confirms that Greg Roman has been contacted by Stanford to replace David Shaw. Punch it. I guess I, guess I can. You know, I mean, Greg, Greg talked to me. He said that uh, there had been some contact there. I think it's very preliminary right now, and that's where it's at. You know, we have really great coaches. They're going to have opportunities, and we always try to um, – um, you know, encourage that and support that any way we can. But, uh, yeah, we'll just cross that bridge when we get there. We're, I think we're pretty far from, from that at this point. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know if Greg Roman's looking for an exit ramp or not, but the Stanford job would be interesting. I mean, he was at Stanford when uh, John Harbaugh, excuse me, Jim, Jim Harbaugh, was the coach at Stanford, uh, upsetting USC as a 30-point underdog. and shaking Pete Carroll's hand with his Sharpie dangling down from his khakis and Pete Carroll going up to John Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh. God, it's going to keep happening to me. Going up to Jim Harbaugh and said, hey, what's your deal? Chewing his gum. What's, what's your deal, deal bro? <laughs> what's your deal, bro? Uh, I That's loved your coach, that. Though. That's your coach. It is now, dude. I did not like Pete at USC. I was a Mac Brown, Vince Young, Texas guy. That was my squad, man. Give me Jordan Shipley. Give me Limus Swede. Give me Vince Young. David Thomas. Oh, come on. That's my squad. And my brother was a big SC fan. Loved Reggie, Liner, you know, all Cedric the guys Benson. there. Cedric Benson. Oh, the, that Texas. Yeah, absolutely. Ricky Williams before that, huh? Go, was Cedric go Benson on that Rose Bowl team? No, I don't think so. He wasn't the running back? I don't think so. I see. I don't remember him on that team. I could be wrong. And he passed. Did he pass away? Did he get involved in an accident? I better look that up before I sign off the air. Here. Yeah, <laughs> before uh... I'm like throwing people, uh, throwing people under the bus here. Um, yeah, he did. He passed away in 2019. I remember that. So he played at Texas, Cedric Benson, from 2001 to 2004. So that was right before Vince Young, because 2005 was the USC Texas was, Rose Bowl. It was Jamal Charles. Jamal Charles was the running back of that. Team. Jamal Charles, one of the more underrated running backs in football. Think man. about that Texas that. squad, man. It was sweet. It was sweet. I loved that Texas squad. It broke my heart when we lost. We. When Texas lost in Lubbock. It may have been a couple years after that. The Crabtree catch from Graham Harrell. Yeah. And that was a Colt McCoy team at the time. But uh, that that was a tough one. But Mike Leach got, got uh, Mac Brown that day. All right. That's Punch and Audio. We'll break when we come back. Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune, joins the show. Utes, Trojans, Vegas, Pac-12 title on the line. We'll talk to Newman as well. Also, we got more callers that want to react to the Merritt Paulson interview. I want you to stay there or call back in a few minutes as well because we'll continue to have that conversation. Newbie in for Kazano. This is the Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Kazano on 750 The Game. So, so we love that role. We love the the uh, chip on our shoulder, the the uh, nobody giving us a chance, and uh, 
uh, we seem to thrive in that uh, capacity and in that uh, in that world. And so we'll see. Everyone is picking USC to win. Apparently, everyone is saying Caleb Williams is going to win the Heisman Trophy. That actually might happen. Uh, but will USC just simply walk into the college football playoff, walk right past the reigning champions of this conference? We're about uh, 24 hours away from finding out in the Pac-12 title game in Las Vegas. Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune, covers Kyle Whittingham's Utah Utes football program, and uh, he's on the line with us right now. Josh, thanks for taking time. How are you? I'm well, Judah. How are you? I'm good. Two weeks ago, we had you on ahead of what felt like Utah's Super Bowl <laughs> at the time. Oregon, Utah, Autzen Stadium, 7.30 Saturday night. Uh, I remember getting you on the line and, and John having the conversation with you, and I was getting hyped. And I, I ultimately picked Utah to win that game because I, I felt like they were a live dog ready to pounce. And it was close, but Oregon ended up winning the game. And at the time, I felt like that was a significant win. And two weeks later, the Utes are in Vegas ready to defend the, the conference title again. Uh, did you think we could get to this point? Uh, I thought we could. I didn't think it was, like, totally implausible, right? After the loss to Oregon, Utah needed a bunch of things. First of all, it had to beat Colorado, and then it needed UCLA to beat Cal, and Oregon State to beat Oregon, and Washington to beat Washington State. Again, that's asking a lot, but all of those things, it felt possible. It felt plausible. And, you know, UCLA beats Cal. Utah is handling Colorado, you know, they're up 42 nothing at halftime. But in the middle of that Utah-Colorado game, Oregon is taking Oregon State behind the woodshed. I think it was, uh, it was 31-10 at one point. And at that point, I am literally up in the press box at Colorado, you know, beginning to scratch out a quick list of, like, which Utah players I think would opt out of a bowl game. You know, that's where things were. And, you know, Oregon State scores, Oregon muffs a punt, Oregon State again, Oregon State gets a stop on fourth down, and all of a sudden Oregon State wins that game. Uh, Washington beats Washington State late Saturday night in the Apple Cup, and all of a sudden Utah's back in the Pac-12 championship game, uh, fourth time in five years, uh, fourth straight time if we don't count the weirdo COVID season. And here we are. You know, Utah has, you know, they are responsible for USC's lone loss, 43-42, back on October 15th. And, you know, there's a lot at stake here, obviously. You know, I've been talking about it all week. I'm sure you have as well. If USC wins, they go to the college football playoff. First time a Pac-12 team will have been to the playoff since 2016. Utah looking to return to the Rose Bowl after, after they won the Pac-12 for the first time last year. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's been a crazy seven days beginning with, you know, the goings on Saturday, with, you know, and with everything that Utah needed. And we've had, you know, a, a pretty, you know, profound, tangible buildup here. And we'll see what happens tomorrow night. What has the emotional uh, response been from Utes fans that you get to engage with, that you're privileged to engage with throughout the season uh, in the last couple of weeks, coming out of the Oregon loss and now getting ready to, to face USC? Are, are fans optimistic? Are they bullish? Are they, like, reinvigorated? Or uh, what's the what's the attitude of Ute Nation right now? It, you know, not to cop out, but, like, honestly, it might be, it might be all of those things. Like it's been a, it's been a really crazy roller coaster, not just this week, but like this entire season, right? The season begins, you know, coming off the Rose Bowl, right? 
you got all these guys coming back with Rising and Grant Keithy and Dalton Kincaid and the secondary, and they begin the season ranked number seven. And they go into the swamp. You know, they lose a crusher. Um, you know, they get themselves together. They lose another one at UCLA. I mentioned, the you know, the USC game. And since the USC game, I mean, it, it's been – it's been quite a few weeks. You know, Cam Rising is not 100%. Uh, that USC game really took a toll on his health. He's had the left knee. Um, he, you know, he, he, missed the, he missed the game in Washington State. He sat, uh, you know, warmed up, dressed, then sat with the knee. Bryson Barnes, you know, scratches out this 21-17 win, right? Cam Rising's back up. Uh, Tavion Thomas was, you know, not a – uh, not a completely, you know, bought-in member of the team. There, you know, there are issues there. Uh, you know, Keithy is out for the year. Dalton Kincaid's been hurt. So it has, it has really genuinely been wild swings of emotions for this fan base, highs and lows. You know, the game at Florida, again, was a crusher. You know, the ultimate high of, of rising on fourth and goal at the one, then the two-point conversion against USC. And then, look, again, halftime of Oregon, Oregon State, fan base is way down. Then they're way back up. And, um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, th- this fan base remains optimistic, if not bullish, that they can, you know, on a neutral field, you know, in spite of USC playing well, in spite of Caleb Williams having, you know, ascended to become the prohibitive Heisman favorite, yeah, I think this fan base is absolutely bullish that Utah can do what it did again, just like last year. Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. The forty-three, forty-two thriller, uh, at Rice Eccles. How much of that game, if any, do you feel like we can take and apply to the matchup on the field tomorrow night? Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about that all week. Like, if we think back to last year, you know, Utah beats Oregon at Rice Eccles. You know, they smashed them right, thirty-eight-seven, and then the rematch in the Pac-12 championship game was only thirteen days later. So you can't really have wholesale significant changes within a 13-day span. But this time around, the, you know, the first Utah-USC game, that was six weeks ago. And you can make significant changes to, you know, your play calling, even some of your personnel. As I said already, you know, rising is, is not 100%. He is not the player right now that he was on October 15th. Um, again, Tavion Thomas is not around. Uh, Dalton Kincaid has, has, has a lower back issue that, that he suffered at Colorado. So, um, you know, what can we glean from October 15th? I think from a Utah perspective, you know, the defense over the first four or five games was, you know, was not, you know, was not great. Okay. On October 8th, they give up 500 plus yards of total offense to Dorian Thompson Robinson at UCLA and they lose that game in the first half the next week against USC. Caleb Williams was terrific, right? Throws for 225 yards, three touchdowns. USC's in control. And then beginning with the second half of that USC game, something clicked with the Utah defense. You know, they simplified some things. Uh, Morgan Scally, the defensive coordinator, called some really timely blitzes. Guys, you know, made plays. And since the second half of that game, Utah's defense has been very, very good. Even in the Oregon game that they lost 20-17, to the defense was really good. The defense did not let Bo Nix, you know, really do much of anything in the second half. You know, the offense just couldn't, you know, couldn't get over the hump with rising. But the defense has been really, really good. So if we're trying to glean something from what happened on October 15th, I point to the defense. That was absolutely a turning point 
in the entire unit's uh, uh, season, quite frankly. Josh, I like to look at point spreads. Uh, admittedly, my handicapping of college football point spreads has been wanting this season. Uh, not not seeing it well, Josh. Not seeing it well. Uh, that being said, when the line came out, USC two and a half, given the hype and just the 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 way the the national attention has swelled around USC, I said that's it, two and a half. Yeah. And then it yeah. got to three for a brief moment. I'm looking at seizures now. It's back to two and a half. Did you have any reaction to that whatsoever? Yeah, so I forget which sports book I was looking at, but I saw one of the books opened it at one, which I which I thought was completely crazy. And I, I don't remember where I saw that, but somebody absolutely had it opening at one. And then as you alluded to, Judah, it you know, it, it opened other places at two and a half. It's gone two and a half, three. You know, I, I like you also pay attention to the point spreads. And when I saw that, yeah, I was a little shocked. You know, it, it felt like a low number. But then, you know, you start adding some context. Again, Utah is, is going for a second straight title. They've been to, you know, four title games in the last five years. It's a veteran-heavy uh, veteran Utah team, at least on the two deep, again, with rising and the tight ends and some of the receivers and most of the secondary. So it still feels low to me. Like, I think USC is going to win this game. Uh, but, yeah, I would agree. That point spread, at least when it came out, it, it, it absolutely felt low to me. Um, I've kind of talked myself into it not being so low, but, like, be that as it may, I do think USC is going to cover that number tomorrow night. What is the latest with Tavian Thomas? I know he's been in the news this week. Yeah, Tavian Thomas is uh, no longer a member of the, um, of the Utah football program. Uh, that came out. He announced it himself on social media last Friday, one week ago. So he is citing uh, a toe injury suffered in the Oregon game on November 19th. Uh, you know, he's shutting it down, uh, getting ready for the East-West Shrine Bowl, which he has accepted an invitation to, getting ready for the NFL draft in April. Um, you know, tough year for Tavion Thomas. There was a lot going on there. You know, his, uh, his, uh, the, the aunt who, who raised he and his siblings – died in late September. Uh, he took a trip back to Dayton, Ohio, where he's from, to, you know, to deal with the family stuff. He, you know, he hadn't been home in uh, quite a long time before, you know, before he got home. And then, you know, there was a, uh, a suspension uh, for disciplinary stuff. Um, you know, he had, a, he, he had a, uh, a lesser role. His role increased, lesser again. Uh, he did not travel to Washington State. And then, you know, against Stanford on November 12th, he looked better in the Stanford game, better than I'd ever seen him in two years, right? 22 carries, 182 scores, and you thought you thought that Tavion was, you know, quote-unquote back, right? But, you know, that was, that was not the case, right? So you had Stanford. He had, I think, 16 or 18 carries against Oregon, and that was the season. And, you know, it's a, it's a complicated legacy for, you know, for Tavion Thomas, right? He he was a late Juco get in the spring of 21 and just this revelation last year, right? He had some ball security issues early last season, but it came back around to him uh, 1,100 yards, uh, a single season program record, 21 touchdowns last year, just a complete force of nature down the stretch for Utah and unable to replicate that this season, you know, for, as I've said, you know, a, a variety of reasons. So, um, you know, 2021 was special, you know, for Tavion. Uh, 2022, for a variety of reasons, was uh, you know was quite a mess. 
Josh Newman covers the Utes, Salt Lake Tribune. George Klyovkov, Merton Hanks gave their little uh, Zoom presser uh, this morning. I, I'm sure you were a part of it. Klyovkov was asked about the importance of USC making the college football playoff, potentially. I thought his comments were interesting. Uh, here's how the commissioner sounded earlier today. I, I think it's incredibly important that um, one of our teams makes the playoff. You know, it's been one of our goals, and we've been building a multi-year football strategic plan to make that happen. That, that said, I don't have a rooting interest tomorrow. We, 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 we love all of our teams, and we think there's a great opportunity for multiple of our teams to be in the year six bowls. Um, and we're taking a step forward compared to where we were a year ago, and we'll take a step forward again next year. It's very important that a Pac-12 team makes the playoff, Josh, but George isn't rooting for anybody in particular. Uh, how, <laughs> how are those comments being received uh, in Utah today? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, people are not naive to what's going on. Uh, look, do I believe that, that the commissioner like has a rooting interest per se? I would like to think not. I would like to think that the commissioner is not going to walk into Allegiant Stadium rooting for USC. But at the same time, like, you know, I remember when he first showed up as commissioner a year and a half ago. And one of his primary things in his very first media session was we need to be committing to football. We need to get our teams to the college football playoff. We need to be performing better than we have. And here we are, right? USC has done enough to get to the college football playoff. And if USC gets to the college football playoff, it benefits George Klyovkov league greatly for a number of reasons. It's more revenue. It's more eyes. Your flagship football program, at least for the next two years until they leave, your flagship football program is out front leading your conference in the, in the second biggest media market in the United States. Furthermore, if USC gets to the playoff, that means that another Pac-12 team presumably Washington, gets to the Rose Bowl, which means you have two Pac-12 teams in the New Year's Six. So, again, like, do I believe George Falcov is, like, rooting for USC? Like, not in so many words, but let's not be naive here. It benefits his league greatly, greatly, if USC wins tomorrow night. Last thing for you, Josh. I don't know if you're one for picks or predictions or if uh, you're asked to do that type of thing at uh, the Salt Lake Tribune, but I'll ask you, how do you think it goes tomorrow night? What kind of shape of the game are you expecting? Uh, do, you, do you have a winner in mind or at least a game flow that you think is in store? Would you believe me if I said that you're the first person to ask me that this week? Literally, <laughs> the first media person to ask me that this week, yeah. which I find... It's insane. I'm I would not, I would not believe you. I would not believe you. I'm, I'm dead serious, Judah. But <laughs> I, anyway, unfortunately, um, we, we have like one minute too, Josh. So of course, I opened you up for that when uh, with when we're up against the course. clock. But go ahead. Of course, I do think there. I do think there will be points scored tomorrow night. USC's offense is too dynamic. I understand what Utah's defense has done. USC is playing it at a different level. I believe it's going to be high scoring on the level of what it was October fifteenth. I think this time around, I think USC gets enough stops to do it. I'm going to go USC 42, Utah 35 tomorrow night. Josh Newman, thank you. Thanks, Judith. Appreciate it. There he is. Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. Bounce to break, come back, react to that and more. BFT on the BFT Radio Network. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
If you called in earlier to react to the Marriott Paulson John Cazano interview, call back in 503-417-7575. We had to pivot uh, away from that topic briefly to uh, get some uh, Vegas Pac-12 title talk in there. I thought Josh Newman was excellent. Again, he's very consistent as a guest. One of the more consistent guests we've had. Was able to get his pick in there at the very end of the uh, interview, and he's got USC by a tutty. 42-35 is his prediction, if I heard him right. I think that's what he said, right, Steve? That's what he said, yeah. High scoring. Do you have an early lean on this thing? I like Utah. I like Utah in the game. I, it's just because that spread, man. Two and a half seems weird. <sighs> seems real weird. Give me Utah on that one. Fascinating. Only two and a half points on a neutral field against a good, not great team against the guy that's going to win the Heisman? It's too weird for me, dude. I got it. I know. It gives me weird vibes. I don't know what to make of it's it. It's a must-bet Utah for me. It's, that's, it's a spot play for you is what it is. We'll talk more about that, plus the 5 at 5, and then Thursday Night Football. Final hour, BFT, coming up, Nubian for Kizano. BFT. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby with the bald-faced truth. Uh, it's extremely hard. Uh, I couldn't be more proud of the Portland Thorns, John, and what's been built over the last decade, what they've meant not just to women's soccer, but to women's sport globally. You know, the light, positive light they've shined on our city. I mean, it's honestly among the proudest things I've done is, you know, helping to shape and develop and sustain this women's soccer and, uh, you know, make it, help make the thorns everything that they've, that they've been. And uh, it's been a very painful and, 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 and difficult decision, but ultimately it comes down to the fact that you know at this moment in time for the foundation that is the thorns that's been developed over the last decade to continue its growth trajectory that's it's been on and continue to maximize everything that it can be i think having a fresh ownership voice at the league level a new ownership voice preferably a female-led ownership group is what is best for the thorns and i'm trying to be motivated and i've always tried to be motivated by doing what's best and making difficult decisions and we don't always get them right but in in this case i do believe it's the right decision Marin paulson exclusive one-on-one interview with our own john canzano the host of the bald face truth judah newbie in for john canzano today we did air that interview with Marin paulson in hour number one if you missed it at all you can find the podcast wherever you get your podcast just subscribe rate and review the BFT podcast. And also you can find it on 750thegame.com. It's been good reaction. It's been healthy reaction. And uh, it's been multidimensional, which is uh, it adds depth. And that's that's healthy. It's good. 503-417-7575. We're going to sprint through this segment. It's our final one of the show before handing off to uh, Westwood One and Thursday Night Football here in Portland. Let's go to Tigard. Kyle has been waiting patiently in Tigard. Hi, Kyle. Thanks for calling in. Hey, hey Judah. Thanks for taking my call. Um, so I think it's very easy to say, you know, Paulson is going to no longer be owner 
of the Thorns. He will no longer be associated with the club. Problem solved. But I think what that misses is that since the Thorns, uh, since Portland was awarded the club in uh, 2013, it has always been talked about as the Timbers and Thorns being one club. So by Paulson walking away from the Thorns, he's only walking away halfway from that one club. And something that I think over the last few months has been kind of forgotten um, is, or at least talked about a whole lot less, is the situation um, with Andy Polo and his former girlfriend and the domestic violence allegations that the club knew about and covered up for six months. So it's not like Paulson and the Timbers have not been involved in anything negative. There are are things that happen on the Timbers side of the organization as well that I think disqualifies him as being an owner of the Timbers going forward. Thanks for the call, uh, Kyle. I, actually, I'm going to bring him back on if he's still there. Uh, thanks, Stephen, for putting him on hold. But if he's still there, I'd love... Kyle, are you still there? I am. Uh, Kyle, are you... Uh, I'm assuming you're a, f- a fan, or at least were a fan of, of the Timbers and Thorns? Yes, I will say I am a fan of both. I am now a former season ticket holder of both. I'm thinking that you probably know other people in similar situations that have made yep. these kind of decisions, right? I mean, that, and that's, I love that you're calling in and helping contextualize that because for you, it's, it's in conflict and it's now, you're not going to, you're not going to renew your season tickets. You don't have your season tickets for, for either club because of this. Correct. And it's, and that's not a sign of not supporting the team and not supporting the players, but it is, pulling back on my financial dollars going toward, you know, an organization that I think has the major flaws that they need to correct and, and account for. Thanks for the phone call, uh, Kyle and Tiger. 503-417-7575. I saw this sentiment on social media as well, and I think it's a worthy one. It's, it is sad that PTFC will no longer be PTFC as we, as we've come to know it. Timbers and Thorns. FC together in that kind of umbrella ownership. That's sad. There was a brotherhood and sisterhood there that you felt that was palpable. All the stand together events, all the community events. Um, that that is that is a sad part of this. I think Kyle's perspective is meaningful as well because there are a lot of season. I've talked to former season ticket holders that no longer have their season tickets because of the last year and a half. And unfortunately, it's all. It's not just. The Paul Riley situation, I think the the Andy Polo situation um, is included in that. Uh, Things weren't handled great in a couple areas. And I said it before, and it sounds trite, but that kind of sucks. You know, that's hard. The other layer of conflict is here I am on, you know, 750 The Game, the flagship of the BFT radio network. And we are, of course, broadcast partners with the Portland Timbers, proud broadcast partners with the Timbers. We've had Timbers games on here since they were in MLS in 2011, and I love that fact. I love Timbers play-by-play. I love being part of, of, of Timbers broadcasts from time to time at Providence Park, doing the Talk Timbers shows as well. But here on the uh, the Talk format, you know, it's a new dimension, as it were. 
I'm being vulnerable with what I'm feeling. I'm feeling conflicted. And that's a real feeling. And I think that's a feeling that a lot of people have. So maybe that represents one side of the coin as well. I've I've talked to, to Merritt Paulson enough times to like him. And, uh, you know, is that a fault of mine? Perhaps. He reached out to me when my daughter was born to congratulate me and my wife. Like, he, he took time out to do that. And I appreciated that. I love this club. It's just, yeah, it's so unfortunate, some of this, but... You know, it's a it is a really good experience to 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 go through it, and I, I love the callers and the listeners, everybody offering their perspectives, and and you know we had a survivor call in last hour as well to kind of push back on the you know saying that hey, there's no need to to go too deep with this. Like it is pretty <laughs> binary, in his opinion, uh, the the survivor that called in earlier, and I appreciated that too. So. That that's it, man. That's it. I know a lot of people over there with the with the Portland Timbers, and I love those people. And I know a, a lot of people with the Portland Thorns, and I love those people too. I've loved interviewing the players. I've loved interviewing. We had Megan Klingenberg on a, a few weeks ago. She is a special soul. She is awesome. Uh, we had Rian Wilkinson on a few weeks ago. She is awesome. The team won it all. Portland Thorns are still a team that deserves our support. And our rooting interest and our fervor, and uh, but th- this sale I think is necessary. It's not a happy day today. It's not a happy day today, but I think it's a necessary step. Thanks everyone for uh, your grace and your your willingness to listen to me and and Stephen and for calling in at five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. Weren't able to get to the five at five. I think that's okay. I think there are some other things on on the to talk about. Steven, I appreciate uh, your help as always, my friend. It's been a good show. You'll be back here tomorrow with Peter Sampson. I can't hear you. Oh, I'm here all day, oh, every day. Go. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I, I changed my mic because I got to record something else. But uh, yeah, I'll be here tomorrow with Peter. Uh, we'll uh, have a lot, a lot to talk about. A lot to talk about. It will be the Pac-12 title game. I'm sure Peter will have some good takes on that as well. USC and Utah, only a two and a half, three point spread, depending on where you look. But it'll be good. Up next for us here on 750 The Game in Portland and streaming on 750thegame.com. Josh Allen against Bill Belichick. That's the way it goes. It's the Bills and the Pats on Thursday Night Football. We'll join Westwood One's broadcast of that coming up in about four minutes right here on the BFT. Newbie in for John Cazzano on the BFT Radio Network.